Hi, entrepreneurs. It's Steph here, and I want to be sure you've had the opportunity to reserve your ticket to our Entrepreneurs Founders Weekend for our Wealth and Wellness Retreat presented by Chase Inc. We will be hosting our event at the Ritz-Carlton in Orlando, Florida from May 3rd to May 5th, and you are definitely going to want to be there with us. This is going to be your opportunity to build relationships with some of the most powerful women in business. And I can share with you firsthand that the best business relationships are formed when we really get together in person. And I just know so much business magic is going to happen when we're all together. From educational panels, networking activities to wellness activations, inspiring keynotes and breakout sessions. This is going to be a weekend you are not going to want to miss. So you can reserve your ticket today over at entrepreneurista.com forward slash founders weekend. We only have a few tickets left, so be sure that you reserve yours today. That's entrepreneurista.com forward slash founders weekend. I cannot wait to see you there. The first year of the business, the most rewarding moments came from customers and seeing in their faces, in their in the emails they'd write in in their deep understanding of the product that we were building. And so it's one thing for your friends to get it and your friends' friends to get it and obviously your mom to get it, but it's something completely different when random people walk in and they leave class saying, oh my God, that was unbelievable. I feel like I got an amazing workout, but nothing hurts. And so for people to get the why and to actually feel it and leave feeling empowered and strong, those are probably still the best wins to this day, but that's kind of what gave me the confidence to, to keep building the business. Making lemonade from lemons. It's a phrase that comes to mind when it comes to Helene Knapp, founder and CEO of City Row, which offers water-based rowing workouts and a rowing-based fitness app. After literally breaking her back, Helene realized that rowing was an exercise she could manage and quickly realized it was a white space with a business opportunity at hand. Coming up, how Helene started a lucrative business without actually being in the industry. The value of diligently tapping into your network. Why a gut feeling to take a call during Game of Thrones changed her path. Opening the door to the world of franchising and how an open mind can lead to tremendous possibilities. This is the Entreprenista Podcast. Presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Helene, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. You don't have a, a background in fitness. Certainly How not. No. did you end up starting and founding City Row? It's a great question. So actually, big consumer of boutique fitness. Built my career in media, worked for Condé Nast, then did a couple of tech startups. So social media marketing technology back in 2010, 2012. I fell fast and hard for SoulCycle, Berries, weird yoga classes, you name it. Long story short, had a really bad injury, hurt my lower back. Had what three, year was that? 2013. Okay. So Buddy Media sold to Salesforce.com. I'm having a great time taking all these workout classes with my friends instead of burgers and beers after work. I'm taking clients to SoulCycle. It's the greatest thing in the world. Start to not feel so good. Go to the doctor. Three herniated discs in my lower back at 25. Oh my gosh. What does that feel like? It's painful, first and foremost. <laughs> It was. It felt just like an ache for a long time. 
and then it got worse. Um, I actually ended up having to have surgery in uh, Valentine's Day 2014. So we're coming up on the five-year anniversary of that. And at the time, I was just sidelined from everything I could do. My doctor said, okay, here's the thing. You need a low-impact workout. It, so were you working at Buddy Media at the time? Yes. So and had I had to take time off of work. How did that work? I was work? doing a lot of PT during okay. the day. So uh, thank God for flexible schedules. And then Buddy Media sold work for another tech company called Olapec. Actually, offices right next door to here, which I have a funny story we can go back to later about that office. But uh, another social media software company. That's really when it started to not feel so good. And then, uh, you know, still working, but there was a back brace involved for a little while. And more than anything, I couldn't do spinning, boot camps, or anything. And the doctor was like, you need a low-impact workout and didn't know what that was. So went to the drawing board. Only thing that I could find in boutique fitness was Matt Pilates, which you know me pretty well. That's not going to work. I need something pretty intense. I want to crush something. If I'm going to ruin my hair, it's got to be for something fantastic. And I want to feel sore the next day. So started researching what low-impact workouts were. Rowing kept coming up, kept deleting it because I thought it was gross and like we're a Winkle Boss twin <laughs> or like a CrossFit guy that wasn't like me and my friends wearing fancy yeah. leggings. Yeah. And so that just propelled me to learn more about it and quickly paired it with personal training style work off the machine. And I was like, I think that this product could work. And so what was the next step? You had this idea and then what did you do? Had this idea and quickly realized that rowing was really hard. So I had never rowed before, right? Despite the fact that I'm t pretty tall and I started a company called City Row, I'd never rowed in the water before. And so when I started doing it inside, I quickly realized that it was it was a power exercise, right? So rowing is actually a deadlift. It works 85% of your muscles in every stroke. If you're going all out for two minutes, you're gassed. And so first of all, I didn't want to row for an hour because that sounded terribly boring. But... To do it right, it should be paired, paired in a HIIT-style workout. So love personal training. I love feeling sore in my arms and abs the next day. Paired it together with this idea and started talking about it. People were like, when can I do it? I'd like to try it. And so I just started making decisions to move the company forward one step at a time. Well, so um, so you have this idea. What year was it? You said 20... So I had the idea end of 2012, end early of 2013 is and when I started. when did it actually come to life? You had your first... Uh, studio. I had the idea at the end of 20, 2012, and the first person I went to was a former colleague of mine from Buddy Media, and he was a serial entrepreneur, uh, sold his company Spinback to Buddy Media, ended up being my boss for a while. And I told him this idea, and he goes, yeah, yeah, that's great. Like, let's, you know, next whole cycle, let's do a pop-up next weekend. And I was like, all right, hold your horses. Thank you so much for the confidence, but I can't do a pop-up for all of the reasons. Also, I'm not a fitness professional. So how else can we assess demand was the first question. So had some friends of mine throw up a quick website, and I was like, this is maybe February of 2013. And we were like, if we get 300 signups, then maybe I'll take some next steps to raise some money, find a space. We got close to 1,500 Minus out all of my mom's email addresses <laughs> by the time we opened. And we were written up in Well and Good and the Global Post and the New York Times. How are you well promoting it? it? I shared it on Facebook. I had all my friends share it on Facebook. This is, you know, it was, there was less clutter and less fake news. So I think people were pretty excited about it. And just started word of mouth. We're in New York City. And we have a lot of friends in PR. So this thing really took off. We were, we were ripe on a rowing revolution. 
I was doing a full side hustle at the time. So I was running client services and sales for Olapic, had this crazy side hustle. And when it got real was with real estate, right? I put a couple thousand dollars into the business, did some legal work, but it wasn't until we signed a lease. That was the jump in moment. And it was terrifying. Oh, yes. We we're, we're went through that process several times throughout running our business. And it's it's not fun. Real estate in New York City is 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 very scary. How long was your lease? It was a 10-year lease. And I figured worst case scenario, I would just turn into a yoga studio. <laughs> <laughs> you always have to have a backup plan. Or maybe like a co-working space. I even had to do some finagling to make sure that the landlord would give me a space. And there were so many challenges in the beginning. So we opened on January 4th, 2014 with no marketing whatsoever. I just had this gut feeling that we had to be product first and that if the product worked, I could slap sexy marketing on top of it all day long. So no marketing, just organic PR. I ran our social until – Who? What was your team at the time? How many people? So – the only real employee of the company was Annie Mulgrew, our founding master trainer, who, quick sidebar, met her study abroad in Madrid. So we had a pretty aggressive semester together in 2007. <laughs> and when I was – I had this crazy idea, but I also, like, know your strengths. I'm not a fitness professional. I don't want to be. I'm, like, a basic consumer. And I had to find a fitness person to be my, to, to be my yin-yang. And I saw her trending on a website. And I thought, I know that girl. She's awesome. Maybe she's interested. So you hadn't spoken to her in years. Years. I and stalked her on went, Facebook. So you reached out to her on Facebook. Yeah. What'd she say? I was like, can we get coffee? She said, <laughs> how about a juice? And that was total <laughs> foreshadowing. <laughs> so we we talked. And she'll tell the story wherein I told her what I was doing. And it was this rowing and the strength training class. And She'll say that her her mom uh, has always loved the rower because she had rotator cuff surgery and it's low impact. And at the end of the lunch, she said to me, okay, great. Like, please invite me in. I'd love to participate and bring my friends and support you however I can. And then the way she tells the story is that I was like, no, no, no. I need you to, like, actually do it. What do you think? (laughs) And she took a leap of faith on me and I took a leap of faith on her. And it was one of the best decisions I ever made. That's amazing. And how many people are actually in the class? How many rowers do you have? I would imagine that that's a pretty big investment too up front. It is. So each rower is about 1300 That's basically it though. It's rowers and then – And uh, space. And weights and mats. And we, we learned a lot about mats in the beginning. <laughs> Turns out sneakers destroy mats. So don't wear your sneakers on your mat, yoga mat at home. And then we started to ramp up a little bit. My thinking was, if this thing works in the first couple of months and people start coming, again, not my mother, even though she still likes to come to class. And Hey, if she we, pays, you'll, t- you'll take her. <laughs> she does. Thanksgiving Day, she wants her spot. <laughs> it's true. And Christmas Day. It was adorable. Um, I was like, we'll double down. Then I'll invest. I'll build out a kick-ass logo. I'll bring on our COO, who was someone who I met at Buddy Media. Her name is Ashley Davis. She has very complimentary skill sets to me, much like much like you and Steph. And that's really when I decided, okay, I think this thing could work. Let's think about what's next. And so we read the logo and started investing in our second location, which opened in 2016. How much money did you need to even get to that first opening day? Of the first studio? Yes. 
So, you know, I, I built myself a little P&L of what I thought it would be. The first studio, I was super scrappy. I put $50,000 worth of work into it, whereas that is nothing for comparison. The second one, we put $700,000 into it. But the first one I raised, I overcapitalized. I, I tried to raise 100 and raising 250 from friends and family because someone once gave me the rule of someone wants to give you money, you take it. I've heard that before. Mm-hmm. So luckily, one of those people was a, was a construction partner, and he helped us get it done really quickly. Moved a couple of things around. Didn't do any soundproofing. Learned a lesson very quickly about that once we opened. And we were profitable month one. That's amazing. How many classes did you have that first month or that first week? Probably about 30 classes a week. We've oh, now was it all Annie? Did, have, you, have you instructed any classes? No, except <laughs> there was this one snow day where – It's an entrepreneur. You have to do what you have to do. You got to do what you got to do. No, I've never instructed a class. I really am a firm believer of knowing your strengths. Sometimes I wish I could, right, if someone subs out or uh, needs last-minute coverage. I wish I could fill that role because we want to be able to do everything at all times. But I can't do that. There was a snow day once, though, where I went to go take class, and I br- invited three friends with me because, you know, snow day on the Upper East Side. Everyone wants to, like, work out so they can go, you know, eat chili and drink all the wine. And we got there, and the classes were totally full. And so we had a small studio upstairs, and I was like, screw this. I want to work out. And so I was like, who wants to come with me? And this one client joined me and my three friends in this small studio for a class, and she never came back. So... <laughs> Uh, so did Annie train all of the all of the trainers? She did. Beth Lewis came on board. She was one of our first hires. A couple others who you know have cycled out, and she has trained all of our trainers since. What would you say was the biggest learning lesson in that first year? Was there a moment where you're like, I'm in over my head? What am I doing? Definitely been been in over my head since day one. <laughs> I remember thinking early in the beginning, oh. People work out when they're not working. So my schedule is going to be weird. And that was a hard pill to swallow because I was there every night from 5 to 8 or 9 o'clock at night. So it really impacted my social life. Weekends are gangbuster. Like people want to work out on a Saturday morning. So until we had the money and the people to help fill shifts – it was very odd because in the beginning, I was like the general manager. So I was there when the, cl- the studios were were open. Luckily, that's changed now, and I have much more of a normal business schedule. But that was a big realization just about the uniqueness of my business. How did you adjust? It was hard. And especially, you know, I was still dealing with a back injury at that time. So it wasn't even like I could take the class in this in this moment in those first few months. But Luckily, hired great people, kept on bringing on great, motivated front desk staff. So I was able to step away and maybe, you know, I would slowly like leave at six, right? Or maybe I'd take a night off or I would show up just for one class on a Saturday. So it was a, it was a gradual step away and starting to focus on, you know, more building the business. And what was you say is your biggest learning lesson that first year? Hiring people to work the front desk is very different than hiring an account manager for a social media marketing company. What are you looking for? You're looking for somebody who wants to make $12 to $15 an hour. And how do you find those people? 
well, at first, I just had all my friends work the front desk <laughs> for free classes. So I had two really good friends, one from Buddy Media. We're talking like, you know, sales execs, plus my friend who worked at, you know, um, Deloitte, who were taking the Saturday morning shift. And that was great because they were kind of doing it for barter or we'd pay them a little bit of money. And I knew that they, they loved the business, but quickly realized that they weren't really caring about the day-to-day needs of the business. So we had to phase them out, which was kind of hard. But, you know, you can't be drinking champagne behind the front desk on a Saturday <laughs> morning. <laughs> and so we kind of learned that it required a different kind of employee that I had never been exposed to before. So I had to ask other people that were working in the service industry how to find great people and how to hire them. Tell me about the, your like, you know, favorite the- moment of the first year. Most rewarding, where yeah. you felt like <clears throat> I am on the right track. The first year of the business, the most rewarding moments came from customers and seeing in their faces, in their in the emails they'd write in, in their deep understanding of the product that we were building. And so it's one thing for your friends to get it and your friends' friends to get it and obviously your mom to get it. But it's something completely different when random people walk in and they leave class saying, oh, my God, that was unbelievable. I feel like I got an amazing workout, but nothing hurts. And so for people to get the why and to actually feel it and leave feeling empowered and strong, those are probably still the best wins to this day. But that's kind of what gave me the confidence to to keep building the business. Coming up, challenges after year one and the decision to franchise. Hey, entrepreneurs, it's Steph here. As a founder or really as a woman in business who is creating their own success, whether you're just starting a business or you're scaling it, dealing with finances and money can often feel very overwhelming and intimidating. We have all been there. But according to fellow entrepreneurista and personal finance expert, Varnoosh Tarabi, that fear can surprisingly be very helpful for your future success and wealth. Varnoosh is the host of the So Money podcast and the author of the best-selling book, A Healthy State of Panic. She gets candid about all things finance with leading business experts every Friday on her podcast. And she dives deeper into the nine biggest fears that hold us back both professionally and personally in her latest book, including rejection, loneliness, fear of missing out and failure to name a few. She offers a wealth of knowledge and tackles the relatable feelings we all experience about money. So you are definitely going to want to subscribe to her podcast. And if you want to meet Farnoosh live and in person, be sure to join us at our Entrepreneurista Founders Weekend event from May 3rd to May 5th at the Ritz-Carlton in Orlando. Farnoosh will be speaking and she cannot wait to connect with you. You can reserve your ticket at entrepreneurista.com forward slash founders weekend and we will see you there. Your journey and accomplishments up to this point are pretty incredible for someone who did not come from the fitness industry. So I think we should take a moment and celebrate. So something that Stephanie and I love to do with our guests is a surprise and delight. And this is actually something that we recommend to our clients that they surprise and delight their their audience on social media. So we have a special surprise for you. It's right next <gasps> to you. Oh my God. A bottle of champagne because we saw on your social media that you love to celebrate your store openings. Thank and you. I do we love champagne. Might, it's up to you. We might want to pop this open. I'll leave it all to you. I'm almost done with my water. <laughs> 
I do love champagne. Thank you. You're welcome. And then, okay, so now we, we went through the first year. What was the next pivotal moment in your business after that first year? First year was incredible. Learned a ton, made a lot of mistakes, learned that you needed people to work the front desk. That was shocking because I thought just instructors could do those kind of things. And I hired our COO. That was a huge moment. Ashley and I have complimentary skills. That skill was the sets. first year. That was the first year. Her. So those were like those were the pivotal moments of the first year. We quickly decided to open a second location. And that was a huge moment because our first location was a test. 15th floor office building in Union Square with no amenities or anything. Second one had to represent who we were. We're the leader in this category. We're the we're the soul cycle of rowing. So we have to have a physical presence that represents that. We hired the architects of dry bar. I was ready for my yellow hair dryer. Mm-hmm. And figuring out how to open that second location was extremely challenging. Retail business, ground floor. I was fighting with a co-op building. At one point, I had to decide if I was going to cut a 35-square-foot hole in the side of the building without permission from the from the, the landlord because they had kind of given it to me. But then they were like, no, you can't cut this hole, which is called a louver. Who knows what a louver is? I know now. It's basically like an exhaust for the air conditioning. And if I didn't cut the hole, we couldn't open by New Year's. But I was going directly against everything that the legal team said. So made some really bold decisions getting our second location open. And then it was, where do we go from here? So where did you go from there? I really wanted to go to the Upper West Side. (laughs) And I wanted to go to Boston. And there was a cool new development in D.C. that we had our eye on and an LOI or a letter of intent out for. How are you finding these locations? Oh, Who does commercial that? real estate's very fun. People were coming to me, right? There's a huge shift in retail in general happening right now, where five, even 10 years ago, people wanted a Banana Republic as an anchor. Nobody wants that anymore. Things are changing. The best tenants are experienced tenants. We're an experiential, hot new brand that's a destination. So I've been getting inbound requests for people that want us to rent their space to me for years, probably get five a day delete them all but a few pique your interest you know through a friend and we were considering it dc boston seemed like great places to open a rowing studio since day one people have been asking me come to san diego when are you coming to vancouver this would be great in austin let's get one in denver can i franchise when can i come so i had a folder of places people want to see us and so it was a matter of how quickly can we get there I was all ready to go corporate expansion. I was going to raise a couple million dollars and do that. But there's this one thing that I couldn't get over about corporate stores was how am I going to incentivize a general manager who's making, you know, maybe 60, 70 grand a year to wake up at 5 a.m. if a VIP is coming in or for them to walk in, see a scuff on the wall and start to magic eraser it, which is something I do all the time because (laughs) I like things to be clean. And I started exploring what other growth options were out there. Franchising, I was like, ew, that's like a Subway and a McDonald's. Don't know anything about that. Pause. Learn that Outback Steakhouse makes their manager buy into 10% of the units. They've got some skin in the game. I was interested in it. You know, franchising is one of the oldest businesses in the country. And I thought to myself, if this thing is really that powerful. I should probably explore it. So I opened that little folder in my Gmail. It said franchise, you know, respond to a few emails that I'd never respond to in years. 
and had a few meetings with franchise development companies because I don't know anything about franchising. So I'm not going to do it by myself. Totally turned off by it. Super sleazy. Everyone wants to just buy City Row and stamp it all over the country. Didn't care about me. Didn't care about innovation. Didn't care about the integrity. So I totally wrote it off back to corporate expansion. And then one day I was talking to a friend of mine. He's a fellow Michigan grad. Tahani Jones, great entrepreneur. Also played football, which is you know, important for some people. <laughs> and he said, hold on a second. If you're thinking about franchising, cut off my guy, John Rachi. And I was like, no, no, I'm good. I don't like franchising, but thank you so much. And he said, just talk to John. No, no. Okay, fine. Quick call. Won't hurt me. Dahani introduces us. I'm like, do my classic. Hey, John, great to meet you. Looking forward to connecting. Let me know when works for you. He goes, hey, Helene, great to meet you. How's Sunday at 9 p.m.? And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Um, and I was like, Sunday at 9 p.m. is uh, when I'm watching Game of Thrones. So <laughs> did you really say that? For sure. <laughs> I mean, I said that to myself. But if he wasn't watching Game of Thrones, I'm judging him. Also, the audacity to ask me for a Sunday 9 p.m. meeting, I was so shocked that I said yes. And didn't even Google him. Got on the phone. Was like, hey, I hate franchising. But how are you? And he said, oh, okay, well, tell me why. You know, I have a business. We partner with emerging brands and help them grow. Within five minutes, I Googled him, realized he's the golden boy of franchising, has a 10 for 10 win rate, Domino's, Krispy Kreme, built and sold a couple of his own um, businesses that were service-based, bought out Title Boxing Club, and then started Framworth a couple of years ago. And two and a half hours later, he and his CEO were on a plane about three days later and made a handshake after 48 hours because I just felt something in this guy. We, we, I like to call it Frantegrity. <laughs> a lot of franchising funds that we can go on with but um so we did that and that was our retail expansion plan what year was that 2017 we had a handshake deal and we officially launched franchising in the spring of 2018 2018 so how many stores do you have opening up this year we have over 40 units sold 20 will open this year amazing and you know i don't see why we can't surpass uh the 500 units of Pure Bar. Incredible. So what has been the biggest challenge now with, with franchising? The learning curve. This is a massive industry that people spend their careers in. And here I am sitting as the CEO of a brand new franchisor that has a tremendous amount of power behind it. So I love learning. I love solving problems. I love soaking up information from people around me. So it's been great to learn from Franworth. I feel like I have a PhD now in franchising. It's an unbelievably cool business. There have been some great wins. Meeting some of our franchisees that are going to open, like our woman named Carrie in Portland. I can't wait for her to open in, in April, May. She, you know, former engineer at Nike, three kids, getting out of the house, actually saw me on the Today Show back in, in March of last year. And she was one of the first people to buy in. And she's going to be unbelievable. So it's a really, really, really cool industry that I am really glad is part of our growth strategy. For City Row, is the the type of person that's buying into this franchise, is there a specific demographic type of person that would be interested in in partnering with you? It's a great question. I get it all the time, even from potential franchisees, because it's a two-way street, right? I have to make sure that they're going to represent the brand and that I, I think that they'll do a great job. 
at the same time they're evaluating if they want to make a big life change and have City Row be a part of it. I always say that the most important thing is making sure they understand the why. So one of the biggest opportunities in franchising is quality control. They all have to feel the same. And so I have to make sure that everyone who becomes part of the the crew understands the why. And our why is we're not a rowing studio. We're a smart fitness solution. It happens to use rowing because it's the best piece of equipment out there. And so if they understand the why, everything else uh, will probably fall into place. Have you declined anyone? We have. Why? Because I don't think that they're going to uphold the standards. Makes sense. Are you planning on continuing to open any uh, any of your own studios or just go the franchise route? It's been a difficult decision, but we're going to just lean into the franchising right now. It's a large infrastructure that we're building, and I think that we should focus our energies on that plus a couple other projects that we have. But we have two in New York. We're keeping those. And then Ann Arbor is an affiliate store that uh, I own alongside Dave Kyle, who's the COO of Franworth, as well as uh, Jeff, Annie, and Ashley on my team. So we have three three units we get to play with. And why Ann Arbor? I know you went to the University of Michigan, but is there any other reason why? Yes. Why there? So John Rachi and Franworth. Uh, John is a Michigan grad, and he started Franworth in Ann Arbor, right downtown. And one of the things that is imperative during the sales development process is a discovery day. And before I was in franchising, I had no idea what discovery day is. Now it's like a very, very common term that everyone uses and everyone has them. At the end of the sales process, when everyone's about to make a decision, you do a 24-hour intense get-together where everyone flies to Michigan at Frameworth headquarters. They put on this entire production and we get to meet the potential franchisees. I tell them the story. We go through every single aspect of the business. They learn everything in person. We have some meals together. And by the end of it, we're all prepared to make a decision. So that happens in person in Ann Arbor. And so we needed a a store there to showcase. I love that. I love that. Um, And I know you raised money. What was that process like? It's the worst. So the first round was just friends and family, 250. I've heard I've heard it's difficult. Stephanie and I actually never raised money, uh, but we have a lot. We know a lot of people that have. What What was the first step after friends and family? I think I'm still doing friends and family on some <laughs> level. I hate it. I hate raising capital as much as I believe so whole, wholeheartedly in what we're doing and the unbelievable opportunity. It's not something that comes naturally to me, and nobody likes talking about money. So it's really not fun. I didn't even – I actually almost hated the friends and family more. But I had to do it. So I kind of jumped into this really uncomfortable place. I tried to put something really fair and equitable together. You know, something us as women are really good at is putting something really fair, not too aggressive on the table. <laughs> Should have been way more aggressive in the beginning. But the friends and family was an interesting one, frankly, because I had people that were definitely just, you know, I don't know about this rowing thing, but I'm betting on Helene. So I'm on the Helene train. Let's go which I think is almost scarier than them believing in the business. And so everyone since, you know, I've taken a little bit of some small funds, but it's all been angels and friends of friends. And at this point, they're all, I think they're all pretty lucky that they got in because from here, it is a little bit more institutional and and more family offices and some strategic partners are coming on board. So 
it's a long process. It's an exhausting process. You're really exposing yourself so it's vulnerable. And it is not fun. Who is helping you? Who has been your main advisor throughout this whole process? I thought I knew a lot about fundraising purely because I had been a part of Buddy Media, which had raised like hundreds of millions of dollars. And first of all, raising capital for a retail business is different than a tech company. I think if I had started a tech company, it would have been a little bit more turnkey. But luckily, my friend Dan, who serial entrepreneur from Buddy Media, was super helpful in the beginning. I got connected to an amazing lawyer who explained to me what an operating agreement was <laughs> and how we put together. He was my confidant, my advisor, almost exclusively for the first two and a half years. And then right after we opened the second location, I met our, our now uh, CFO, Jeff, who he'll tell – I mean, he, he stalked me. He stalked me for about a month and a half. So many LinkedIn messages I didn't respond to. He would blindly email me because he just wanted to, like, learn more, be a part of the business. And finally one day Annie said – wait, this guy, Jeff, is like a client. He He's taking the 30-day challenge. He really wants the hat. That's $5. And this guy is like <laughs> dying for the, for the hat. He's doing two-a-days. He's actually great. You should meet with him. So Jeff came on board in um, the middle of 2016 as an investor and as an, an advisor. And that's when a lot of our business partnerships really started to pick up. So he has, again, complementary skill sets on the um, he's a lawyer by trade. He's got great financial background. So he's really been my confidant as well. Yeah. How do you value your company in the early days when you're when you're just getting started? I wasn't sure how to answer this question at all. Dan's advice to me was the company is valued at what people pay for it. That is it, especially before it opens. There's nothing. It's a pipe dream. So see people are going to pay for it. I valued it before it even opened at a million dollars because it felt like a clean number and I knew how to do the math. <laughs> so I was like, let's do it. And again, probably should have done a little, a little more, but that's okay. And since then, it's been even more of a challenge because you're buying something with a ton of opportunity. And so there's other mechanisms to raise capital that don't require you to put a valuation on it, which I learned Jared told me. He said, one day, what about a convertible note? Learned all about a convertible note, did a lot of convertible notes. So that's what you've done since since. Yes. And we're, you know, probably do a, a qualified raise soon. And that is a combination of, again, to the same point, what someone's willing to pay for it. But now there's actual numbers behind it. There's real opportunity. Jeff put together a beautiful model. So it's a slightly different conversation. Up next, finding balance, a brainstorm, and a great tip for success. You can connect with us at socialflyny.com and follow us on Instagram at Entrepreneistas. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneistapodcast.com. Here's your social media tip of the week by Socialfly. Don't waste time on platforms that aren't providing results. A common misconception of social media platforms is that companies think that they should be on every single one. This isn't true. While we recommend testing things out, which happens to be something we do at Socialfly prior to recommending a new feature to our clients, it's more valuable to focus on the platforms that work for your business than waste time on the ones that don't. How 
does the franchising business work? Because I don't know uh, too much about the business side of it. So do you you get a percentage of all of the sales from any person that signs up? Is that how Correct. It so there's a few standards in the industry yeah. where you know you have a sales development team and there's a, a some broker network so there's a there's an upfront fee that a lot of franchisors I'm a franchisor um they'll they'll absorb that mostly that will go to to development fees and then it's anywhere between I believe 7 to 9% top line revenue again don't quote me on that directly but that's that's franchising and then there's a, a small percentage to a national ad fund Mm-hmm. And then in return, we're providing everything from the the marks to the playbooks to the support to the opening plans. And it's a really cool partnership. Yeah, it sounds really exciting. And it sounds like a lot of work. How do you balance it all? Do you have a personal life? I do. <laughs> Again, I think this kind of comes back to knowing what you're good at and knowing how to – I don't say manage your time. I think a lot of like you know executives can manage their time well – for me, I've learned it's about actually about managing my energy. So I could sit at home all day doing emails and I probably wouldn't, you know, exert that much energy. But for instance, a discovery day where I'm on for 24 hours or when I take investment meetings or even just a ton of in-person meetings or, I don't know, filming a podcast might take up a little bit more energy in my day. And so I have to plan for that. And so that's really been the key to me being able to balance and not get burnt out is making sure that before Discovery Day, I have time where were, I'm not doing anything. Were there moments throughout the past several years where you did feel like you were burning out? Absolutely. And, you know, I obviously I broke my back. So that wasn't that wasn't great. And I think that that was in part, you know, I wasn't taking great care of myself, but the stress doesn't help. Yeah, but there's there's times where I can't I can't get away, I can't get out of my head. The past couple of months have been some of the most challenging in the company history across the board. And it comes at the same time that there's actually big wins, right? So they say it's like the highs of highs and the lows of lows, and they often come at the same time. We celebrated our five year anniversary in January. And at the same time, I've never felt such uncertainty about a couple of things. So it's a just total mental game. What would you say keeps you up at night? On the days that you have this, a lot of things going on in your head. It's always the opportunity. I see so much opportunity in what we're doing, what we're building from our physical expansion to the at-home rowing revolution that anything that I find like gets in my way is really frustrating and I can't stop thinking about it until what the problem solved. What things get in your way? Partners, capital, um, miscommunication. So anytime I have to stop sprinting is a very frustrating time in the business. But luckily, I have amazing partners and an unbelievable team. So those moments are, are few and far between. But for any for any entrepreneur who knows they have to move quickly, the 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 stopping and the feeling like you're you're not moving forward kind of feels like death, right? Jeff Bezos says like every day is day 1, day 2 is death. I feel that way. 
I can certainly relate. Uh, and then City Row Go, we didn't talk too much about that, but that is a huge, huge accomplishment. How did that come to be? Well, you guys were extremely instrumental in making that, that yes, launch happen you're successfully. you're listening, go to their Facebook page uh, and their website and check out this awesome video that we made. Just want to give us a little plug. <laughs> oh, I, would, I would say all the creative around City Row Go with Social Fly. The, the idea behind City Row Go came about the same time we decided to franchise and I saw what was happening in the digital at home space. I saw the leader Peloton coming out and I thought it was the best thing I best idea I'd ever heard of. And at the same time knew that our workout and the rower specifically was primed not only for an at home experience, but possibly for shorter workouts. And there was already a pretty big rower population in people's homes. So I started talking to our manufacturing partner, Water Rower, about their interest in joining us on the adventure. They invested, which was an awesome partnership to help us get the the app built and get the um, the first version of our rower up and running. And then we partnered with you guys to officially launch it. Based on everything you learned, what would you say is the future of rowing? I'm going to pivot that slightly and answer what I think the future of fitness is. So I think let's call it 20, 30 years ago, we were probably on the Today Show uh, talking about exercising in general. And the question was like, okay, Jane Fonda, Richard Simmons, people are like, you know, super out there. Is this exercise thing here to stay? And now in the past couple of years, and even more so, you know, every single study that comes out, exercise is here for legitimately every single reason. It's no longer for health nuts. Everyone's doing it. Everyone's getting behind it. It's incentivized through every single program. And the question is not only what are the best ways, right? There's a million different ways to work out now, but how often should I be working out? I used to work out three times. Now it's four, maybe it's five. How do I squeeze it into my busy schedule? And so the trends that I'm seeing are not just about people treating their body in a smarter way, right? Because we're working out for a longer period of time in our lives. It's no longer that we're just working out our 30s and 40s. It's we're starting in our 20s. And we, I want to keep going until I'm in my 70s or 80s. Like I want to have a fantastic outfit when I'm in my 80s and I want to go work out. And so to be able to do that, you have to treat your body in a smart way. And so people are craving and they're starting to learn because we're destroying our bodies in our 20s and 30s. I got to be better about this. I don't want a knee replacement when I'm in my 50s. I want to play tennis forever. And I see a trend towards not just smart fitness, but also convenience so meeting the customer where they are and city row go to the rescue not everyone can get to a physical location because of their their schedules or their location or maybe they have a baby those seem hard (laughs) from what i know those definitely seem hard um something that stephanie and i like to do is a brainstorm so we'll put 60 seconds on the clock and you can ask ask me anything and i'll just Throw out ideas on whatever whatever comes to mind for a specific whatever you want to know. Okay, let's take the social route a little okay. bit. So I used to work in social a little bit, and obviously it changes daily. Mm-hmm. And you guys mm-hmm. are finger on the pulse. It's super crowded these days, and there's a lot going out there about you know it really impacting us in in a negative way. How do you see that changing the landscape? What do you mean impacting us in a negative way, like from a mental health standpoint? Yeah. So people are saying social media can obviously like reduce confidence and make us feel insecure and seeing kind of all these aspirational people all the time. It's not real. It's fake. And so it really is kind of messing us up. Do you see the possible decline in any kind of social media because of that? I'm I'm definitely seeing the impacts of social media 
and the negative impacts of social media, you know, with fake news and with people only sharing the best aspects of their life. It could make other people feel bad about themselves. But I'm also seeing a trend of people sharing the real things that are going on in their life and being more authentic. And I think, you know, Stephanie's not here, but my business partner, Stephanie, does a great job of really, really sharing everything that's going on in her life, the good and the bad, the bad. And I'm also seeing a lot of other people, too, share share what's real. So I think that there's going to be a movement to doing more of that. Um, and then also, you know, I hear I, and I see it, you know, people getting off of social media, people taking breaks from social media. The apps are now sharing how much time are you spending on social media, which can be alarming for a lot of people to find out that they've been spending hours and hours of their time on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, and I think I think that'll help people, you know, come back to reality a bit uh, and back away from it. But, you know, it, it also is addictive. Yeah. Um I've struggled personally because I'd love to take a break. But at the same time, and you can relate this better than I can, it's part of our business, right? We we kind of have to and people want to see what we're doing and people that are looking up to us. So how do you how do you balance having to be that person? I have to be one too. And also like for you, wanting to take a break. For me, I would say I'm at a point in in my career at figuring out, you know, what is the right balance? You know, in the early days, if you were to take the time to really, really scroll back and look at the early days of my feed, it was, for me personally, a lot more personal. You know, I would share the nights out with my girlfriends and I would share probably embarrassing pictures of me out drinking. And now I'm much more aware of the pers- of what that would look like to someone who could be a potential client or someone who, you know, is admiring, you know, the entrepreneurial life that I share on my Instagram feed. So now I'm more particular about what I share, but I, I want to start getting away from that. I want to be sharing, you know, more of the things that I'm doing, um, in a more authentic way. Like your cute dog. Yes. Oh, my cute do- Oh, my gosh. I could go on and on and on about my cute dog, which, you know, earlier we were talking about how cute my dog is, <laughs> if it's the cutest dog in the world or if it's just cute. But we were joking around about if, if we should play a game with it. But anyway, um, <laughs> if you do follow me on Instagram, I do share a lot of pictures of, of my dog. But um, what I'm finding to be really, really interesting – is people who are using Instagram stories to share like more of the I've definitely gravitated and, towards them. It feels so easy yes. to the point that I'm like, I haven't posted something on the grid for a while. Like, I mean, we're going to take a photo soon, so hopefully yeah. I'll have something to post. But Because Instagram, on the Instagram grid, it has to be so perfect. But on Instagram stories, you could be a little bit more real. Yeah. That's great. Awesome. Love, love, love it. What would you say is your biggest piece of advice that you've ever been given? So Dan told me when I first had the idea just to keep making decisions, move the company forward. And so there was, you know, there was a little pause before I signed the lease, but it never felt like a huge burden of starting City Row because it just was one little baby decision at a time. And that has translated into this drive that I have that I've tried to instill in my team about just chopping wood, like just chop the wood, just one thing at a time. How do we get to the goal? Right. And so we set goals and we set mini goals and we just we do one little thing at a time. And so I think that that help makes the crazy audacious goals that we have a little bit more real. I I 100 percent agree. I think 
a decision is much better than no decision. Yes. And just got to move forward. What would you say at this point just keeps you inspired? It's going to be our clients. And now I'd probably add our franchisees to that as well. But it's the same it's the same thing that was probably the highlight of year one, which is our clients that are having a real impact in spending time at City Row. And they feel it in their bodies. They feel it in their minds. They tell us all about it. It's something they've been craving. And I started it because I needed something that didn't exist. And so to know that there were so many other people out there that also needed this, it's it's validating, it's inspiring, and it gives me the confidence to keep going. Love that. And lastly, what does being an entrepreneur mean to you? It means being a total female badass. <laughs> and you absolutely are. Thank you so much for joining me today. Where can everyone find you? And I'm not on my favorite you, on my favorite social channel. <laughs> um, I'm just at Helene Knapp on Instagram, also at City Row on Instagram, or shoot me an email at Helene at CityRow.com. Thank you, Elaine, uh, for joining me today. And thank you all for, for listening. And I'm Courtney, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Me too. Thanks for listening. Founders are always asking us, what has been the secret to our success building multiple seven-figure businesses? Do you want to know how? It's our community. We created the Entrepreneurs League for founders like you. Our members have access to everything we've used to grow our businesses over the past 10 plus years. To learn more and get on the wait list for when doors are open again, head over to entrepreneurista.com. That's entrepreneurista.com to get on the wait list.